Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kia ora and welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. We're back after the first week of Super Rugby and boy were there some interesting talking points. The Chiefs, I mean I didn't see it coming. Away from home, Jipper. Five out of six teams away from home this weekend. You you picked it. You picked it. Brenner talked it up. So let's bring him in. James Parsons, (laughs) possibly because the Blues got 60 points, the happiest man on the planet on the weekend. It was great viewing. Um, We'll get into it a bit later, but it's been a long time since the Blues side's put a team away like that. Yeah, yeah, it was phenomenal. Mark Talera again. Oh, it's amazing. We'll get on to him. But before we get to him, another outstanding performance on the weekend with the boot for Shizuoka, the best kicking nine in the world. It's Bryn Hall. I'd say it definitely wasn't that, lads. It was a uh, it was a gale and wind at Yamaha Stadium, and I probably didn't even make it make it to the line. Actually, that's how bad the wind was from the sideline. So <laughs> zero from two. Yet to get my points off with the conversion or penalty in uh, Jap- Jap- Japanese top league. Plenty to talk about. Obviously, the Crusaders going down, which I'm really keen to hear Bryn's thoughts on because he was a little nervous before that match and. Might have called it right. Jipper called it, of course. Mark Talia talk about him. Some interesting upsets again when we look at Opiki. Uh, the Chiefs again looking solid. I'm not complaining here. <laughs> the Chiefs are doing well. We look over at the Six Nations as well. Scotland didn't do too bad in France. They could have probably won that game if they were really on point. And we'll have a look at your contributions into the show. We've had some good feedback on YouTube. <laughs> so we'll get into some of those comments and feedback in-house. And we'll also show you a way that you can provide video to us and you can play your videos on air and we'll respond to your hot takes as well as the tipping competition. Plenty to come today on our Aotearoa Rugby Pod. But before we get into all of that, let's do the quick fire round. Guys, do you still think the Blues and the Crusaders are the top two teams in Super Rugby at the end of this year based on Game 1 form? Well, if you do go on Game 1 form, then obviously not, Ross. But um, it's a long duration of a competition. So look, I think they'll, um, they'll have a tough review. I think um, you know they're a little bit off, and I think probably the guys that didn't play a lot of minutes in the preseason were probably a little bit underdone. So, um, But no, I, I back them to be to be back in the final. But both that, like I said, the Chiefs, they're, uh, they're the team to watch, they're the team for me to, uh, to tip them up, possibly. Yeah, look, I, I still think that, that that'll stand. Like, I think it'll be... <laughs> Pretty drastic to change your mind a weekend, but I think we all said that the Chiefs are a real threat and can go and win this win this competition quite. 
quite convincingly, really, and we saw that on the weekend. Um, you know, there's a reason why I picked them is that form they showed pre-season and they took that in, and their big, but their big names stood up. Which player made you stand up and take notice from Pacific, Opiki, and the Six Nations this weekend? Well, Pacific... Mark Talia is the obvious, like, I, I can't not pick him, but I also want to mention Brad Weber. I thought some of his touches around that breakdown, Bryn, that especially Sam Kane's try, and just his ability to, to free guys up in space was, was outstanding. Um, I've gone the Chiefs Manawa pack. That was some performance. Like, I just could not pick one person. Like, it had to come from their performance, how dominant they were up front. You know, Luca Connor, three tries, maybe stands out. But other than that, the work that was done up front was outstanding. Um, and then I've gone to Pont in Six Nation. I just thought he handled, he managed the game really well. Didn't have a lot of ball, uh, but when he had it, he, he put, you know, his players away and scored points. First appearance of you in it up front um, of the season. <laughs> <laughs> really good. Okay, Brent. What about you? Oh, Mark Talia was outstanding. And look, um, you know, I'm glad that Dripper said that. Obviously, North Harbour boy, he went very well. But I actually went Brody Retallick. I thought Brody was massive in that um, result against the Chiefs. You could have gone a number of Chiefs players like Stevenson, uh, Damien McKenzie in that second half was outstanding and was a massive reason why they won that game. But look, Brody Retallick um, was immense in that in their engineering. When I think winning down in Christchurch, you need to have performances like that from your big boys. And um, he definitely did that. Um, I went in Elpiki, there was a lot of good um, good players, but I went Rosie Kelly from Utter too. I think um, what they needed to do, and I guess the Ford pack we talked about, but I think with Kendra Coxedge going and you know, not having a, a 9 or 10, we really have talked about a lot. I thought her control and her kicking game, I think, was was massive for um, that Mata 2 game and being able to get that result. And so I went Rosie Kelly. I also went for the back three and pretty much all the Super Rugby Elpiki teams. Like, there's so much talent. In the in the um, in the outside channels at the moment, I thought the Blues um, outside backs were outstanding, and even the interchange bench as well was great. And then for the Six Nations, could have gone to Pont. I think Jip brings up some really good points, influences the game really well. But I actually went Fiku, who um, scores that last try to win it. But I think his dirty work and all the kind of um, moments that he had in that 80 minutes performance for our France were immense in that result over a, um, a tenacious Scottish team after two red cards from both teams. Okay, let's get into this Chiefs win over the Crusaders, 31-10. The least points ever scored under Razor Robertson for the Crusaders, just the 10 points. It was kind of shocking for me in that second half. I, I couldn't really believe how flat the Crusaders looked. When I say flat, I don't mean their defence. I mean, like, physically flat they looked. I felt they... Um, I think it was more the first half that where the Chiefs... The, the way the Chiefs hung on... You know, the Crusaders are a side that when they go in your 22, they're coming away with points. They had nine visits to 22, and obviously the, the two tries, so or one try, I think it was. Um, obviously, Cody's one probably was, you know, would have been a try had they not slipped over, but I, I just, that was uncrusader like And then the option taking in the 22, that quick tap, I'm not sure, I saw a lot of quick taps. Um, setups. So there's obviously something I've missed where that's that's quite a good ploy, maybe under these new rules where the coaches are seeing it. Um, but yeah, it was probably that um, and the de- Chiefs' defence that sucked the tank dry because they threw a lot at the Chiefs. Mm. Especially when Sam Kane was off, they kept coming, they kept coming, but they managed to ha- hold on for the most part. And the Chiefs tackled at 92.4%, whereas the Crusaders, I don't know what your average was last year, Bryn, but 84% would be relatively low defensively for, for them. Yeah, it was. And I think, um, if they had, you look at the Chiefs' attack as well, I think the variety that they had in their attack, especially in that second half, 
was really, really good. I think even in the first half, um, the scramble D from the Crusaders probably held them on in that first half. And so, you know, going into half time, I think the Chiefs would probably be like, we played a lot of rugby here. If we can just get that execution run, hold on to the ball and be able to score points off those opportunities, um, they would have been sitting a lot more nicely in that first half. And that's what they did in the second half. I think the variety of nine, you know, you had Weber sniping in and around the things that you brought up, Jip around close to the line or even just in the face play attack. They had Damo running, running the ball, hitting different options off 10 um, and some good animation in and around um, off those, those pods as well. So um, like I said, I think, the variety that they have in that attack, if they can continue to keep um, asking different question, questions, um, it's really hard to defend. And I think, like you said, the tackle percentage, if you don't make your tackles and you have, you know, 40-odd uh, defenders better that, that, the, um, that the Chiefs had, it's really hard to be able to get set and bring your lines to be pressure. And so and probably one area I thought as well that they um, probably lost the trick was their kicking, their kicking exits. I think they were hurried a little bit. Um, sometimes, you know, when they're going for the box kick, it um, was going out at the back, squirting out, and then again, you're not kicking on your own terms. And so I think Razor brought that up actually after the after the game around, not getting that kick strategy right and not getting it right. So um, now they have to do a lot of things right. But I think they'll be better for that performance on the weekend. Um, you know, like I said, they looked, they looked a little bit underdone. The guys that hadn't played a lot of minutes. And so... That game against the um, the Chiefs will set them up well going into Melbourne this week and hopefully kick on for the start of the season, for the rest of the season, sorry. What were your kick and play stats last season? Because it felt like they kicked a hell of a lot. And, and obviously the Chiefs had the ability to chance it on. You know, 43 kicks off the foot. That seemed to be quite a lot in terms of that getting that balance of that kick strategy right. Yeah, I think well, we kind of kind of went through last year around um, sometimes playing without the ball is a little bit better. And I think in those kind of wet conditions, it did look like it was a little bit greasy. Usually you, you kick it long and you've been able to wait for the mistake for the opposition to be able to give a turnover or a breakdown penalty to be able to then go to your 22 like you talked about, Jip, and been able to score points off of that. Um, but I think, you know, when you're not tackling at a, at a high efficiency rate, um, you're going against, you're going, you're going backwards and then you're not be able to build that pressure to be able to get a breakdown turnover or an execution error. And so, and especially in that second half, 24 unanswered points, the Chiefs did really well at being able to hold and being able to build pressure. And then I think scoring points as well uh, was probably the, the difference. You look at last year's semi-final, very similar. We played without the ball a lot. We made 200 tackles, very similar to what the, uh, the Crusaders did on the weekend. The difference is, is that in that second half, they were able to execute and score points mm. and build that scoreboard pressure, which they didn't do in that semi-final last year. Looking at the playmakers in the Chiefs, it was really interesting to see Damien McKenzie back. Did you feel like there was a certain more yeah. maturation in his game, if that's a word? I, I loved his balance. Like, especially even early, he was even getting a little bit rushed, but he was putting in behind, he was finding grass. Um, and, and if you look at the um, high turnover count for the Crusaders, I think it was three for Richie Moonga, who spends a lot of time in the backfield, three for Sever Reese, and three for um, David Havili. And, and so those three were quite, you know, so I felt like the kick strategy, they obviously went to try and put pressure on in that area to force errors and they got those results and that was a lot based on him. But I thought Sean Stevenson played his part really well as well. Ioane came on, Bryn, and his role off the bench could be vital to how deep they go this year. Oh, I thought that was one of his best games that he's had. Um, I think just with him and our team even coming on as well, that kind of impact that they had off the bench, I think was probably a little bit better than the Crusaders. And so, you know, if he can come on to games and be able to influence, especially the attacking, the attacking side of it, and being able to be a second pivot with, when it comes to his distribution and kicking game, 
Um, it's just going to add a lot in those last 30 minutes. Um, and we're not even talking about Bryn Gatlin, who was probably one of their form players last year. So they've got a lot of a lot of depth in that position and um, it's one of, probably one of the better games I've seen Josh Wine play um, in a Chiefs jersey. You know, if, if Josh can keep playing that flat to the line and just hitting those gaps, um, you know, it, it is exciting. And you have to credit the new rules a little bit around, you know, the scrum and allowing, giving these players time to make the most of it. And, and when they pulled trigger, they, mm-hmm. they did it extremely well. One of the questions I've seen asked about the Crusaders, Bryn, is, you know, you've obviously got a lot of experience, a lot of All Blacks. Sam Whitelock wasn't there. But to a degree, the things that were going wrong, should those experienced players have been able to pull that together and, and get them to show some composure and turn that around in the second half? Or were the mistakes the kind of things that you can't just fix that easily? Oh, I think it just credits to how the Chiefs were able to play and the amount of pressure that they were continuing to put on um, the Crusaders. And I think... You know, when you come in, when you when you get down points um, late in the piece, and especially with slippery conditions, it's probably a little bit harder to be able to execute and trying to get the attacking, I guess, um, composure and being able to build phases with those kind of slippery conditions. And so, um, you definitely they definitely will talk about the unforced errors because you know um, there were a lot of mistakes that they were able to do. But in saying that, it was put on from the pressure both on attack and defensively that the Chiefs were doing. So um, yeah, you'd like to think that the experienced players would be able to find solutions on the field, but. Sometimes you just got to tip your hat and say, you know what, they were the better, better than us. I think in saying that, though, if we use two guys that have been out for a while, Joe Moody and Ethan Blackadder, man, like their games were exceptional. Mm. Like I thought Joe Moody was yep. massive. Like he was, so I think a lot of their senior players did stand up, and it's not so much looking at the individuals and why they didn't get this result. It's more that they're so used to not having to claw so many points back that they can just be meticulous in, in their system and piggyback themselves down there, pick up threes. They're normally the side that picks up three here, three here, and then they, they wear you down. Whereas the Chiefs scored points quite a short space of time and then your whole mindset as a team has to change. You know, some of the errors came from good defensive pressure as well So and, and good mm-hmm. kick strategy. So um, I, I'm, I'm with Bryn. Like, I just think sometimes... like. The Crusaders are human, and they've had enough, <laughs> they've had enough off night. And the Chiefs have have shown, you know, some real strength up front to give a platform to a pretty exciting backline. Superhuman is a way to describe Mark Talia. Um, <laughs> yeah, Blues beat the Highlanders by sixty to twenty, and he had an absolute rip snorter. But he's been doing this for years, uh, obviously at NPC level. I think you know going on the Endeavour tour has given him the confidence to trust the way he works and operates at NPC level to do it at super. And it's just that extra work off the ball, but then it's it's his balance. And, you know, when he has contact, you know, I think it was, um, I can't remember the try it was, but there was three guys on him and he just pops out the other side and, you know, he gets the offload. Um, he, he's just he's just super strong. Um, you know, sort of like Severis, you know, like you, right. you touch them like made of rock. Um, and, and that strength is deceptive, you know, that, that power uh, fend with his feet is, is electric. But that's all this, the stuff, the highlights reel. It's his work off the ball, man. Like the amount of ground he covers to put himself in positions to make a difference, is that's his superpower, is he has got one of the highest work rates there is on the rugby field. When he's got ball in hand, and we've crunched the numbers, 241 metres on the weekend, 241 metres. Now... We crunch the numbers since he started his career, Bryn, in 2020. So the previous best since 2020 was 201 metres. So he is absolutely killing it for what's happening in this era of rugby, Bryn. It's around, you know, your work ethic. If you can get yourself to be fit enough to be able to 
to give yourself moments in games uh, continuously, um, you know, those numbers are going to happen. But I think he's taken his game to another level. I think, you know, it's all on well doing it. That might have seen a couple level, but I think I agree with Jim. When he went over to the India tour, it was a really good asset test for him to be able to see if that will be able to work from Super Rugby, might have seen a couple NPC to be able to go to the test level. And he did the exact same thing. So you'd have to think he would have taken a lot of confidence in knowing that he belonged at that, at that international level and what he was doing at Super Rugby and at provincial level was working at the test level. And so you come back and he is, um, he started off with a, with a great game um, form-wise. So, um, but I think, you know, that Blues game, we'll probably touch into a little bit more, but man, the big boys up front, the the breakdown area and the, the speed of ball that Finlay Christie was able to get out, whether that be offloads or sometimes he wasn't even there and forwards would have been able to play as halfback, gave opportunities to like Mark in the outside backs to get some space. But um, a very, very impressive game from the Blues. I thought it was um, a little bit of possibly a banana skin. You know, first game down at the zoo, it's O-week down there and sometimes that's the toughest game to play um, the Highlanders, but now nah, they were ruthless, a very ruthless performance from that blue side. Chip will be absolutely stoked with that performance. Yeah, and I think the the thing that probably impressed the most is, and I know this is a massive focus for the coaching group and, and probably the leaders still is, you know, Leon was big on why, you know, when I was playing, um, you know, why do we get to a 30-point lead and not put sides away or a 20-point lead and, and, you know, let sides back in? Um, so I know he'll be absolutely wrapped. He'll still, like any coach, have plenty of work-ons for them, but um, he'll be wrapped at, you know, that was probably the most clinical and most ruthless I've seen a blue side in a second half. Just, you know, they what was it, 60 to 20, and they're the ones wanting to keep the ball in at the end. So are the Highlanders, but, you know, they're obviously 40 points behind, but the Blues did not want to stop playing that game, and I think that's an exciting... Um, aspect of their mental edge that if they can keep bringing every week that in the tight tussles that's when they'll pay dividends um, the most but I agree with Bryn their ability to keep the ball alive I think Akira was nine Offa played nine Nepo was at nine Kurt Eklund picked through the middle like it was like anyone was just like get that ball up and keep it alive pop passes um, and and they backed their fitness and and they looked a quality outfit for it. Question for you. You've been in this position a number of times when you're at the Blues. After the game, you've got to do a post-match interview. You've got to talk about what's gone wrong. Billy Harmon is in a position where he's doing this post-match interview, and he mentions that he thought the defence was top-notch, um, which when you cop 60 is a pretty hard thing to take. Can you talk me through what he'd be trying to achieve with that particular comment? I think he'd have to be... The, the only way I can look at it is um, he'd be talking about maybe their system and the way they stayed in their f- system where their defence probably wasn't as good at, and he'd probably admit this as scramble so a lot of the Blues tries came from long range, turnover ball and their work to keep that ball alive, once you're in behind the defence it is really hard um, to come back, mm. especially when they're playing at that sort of pace so I, I would say f- you know, you don't have the um, option of, of watching tape um, but he, he f- clearly felt and an open side is in a clear position of feeling it he probably didn't he'd probably want to choose the words a little bit differently in terms of you know from a fan's point of view with 60 points they might not be as happy but I can see what he meant in terms of when they were in their structure they actually held the blues out quite well but from that turnover ball long range um, kick attack as well um, was probably their struggling point yeah that's the only that's the only way I can see it yeah it was messy it, it was but what I know it sounds silly like this but when they were in structure say when 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 by I mean structure like phase play bodies in front of bodies they were pretty secure in their defensive system mm. but when the defensive 
pressure of the Blues, you know, fumbled, you know, when Christie picks it up and does the flick pass to uh, Mark and then Mark pops it over to Bowden, like that, that's, that's not a defensive issue. Mm. That's not a one-on-one tackle issue. That's just raw talent yeah. at its very, very best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That second half thing through the next game as well, um, a really strong second half from the away team where the Hurricanes beat the Reds 47-13. Yeah. Uh, is, is this a, an indication of differences in depth or skill across the board? I think from what I've learned, you know, watching the preseason and, um, you know, sort of throughout the game is your bench now becomes crucial with these new laws and, and the, the speed of the game. You know, 38 minutes, um, ball and play, um, Chiefs Crusaders, 37-30, the Blues Highlanders. This game, surprisingly enough, was 28 minutes, so 10 minutes less ball and play. I think that's conditions. Um, it was a little bit more slippery, obviously, in Townsville, and both sides were feeling each other out um, at the start. But then when that bench came on, and Bryn mentioned it, Safa more. you talk about wanting to put your hand up mm. for a trip to France. He, that was um, some performance from him, and, and that bench was outstanding. I thought Mafaleo was really good up front, you know, Lomax the same, uh, Jamie Booth. Um, so I, 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 they went with the 6-2 split as well, and I thought that paid dividends. That's why they ran away with it, because they had more fresh forwards out there getting that front football um, to, to give guys like Morgan um, and Geordie Barrett uh, time to set up others. Um, and, and you know, I, I sort of, last week Bryn mentioned that the Canes midfield um, is first in terms of the comp. And, and I, you know, and I know we've had a question about uh, we probably didn't give the Canes as much love as we should have. So I went back through where I'd put them all and I'd, I'd keep them everywhere except for the midfield. I had them at third and I, I definitely think based on what I saw, especially Billy Proctor um, and Geordie Barrett's ability to take the pressure off Morgan, um, they are one of the more formidable midfields in this comp, and I I would now, based on that performance, definitely have them up in that one or two space. Mm. Bryn, another question we got um, from a a viewer was, is there a gap in this competition? Are we seeing after the first weekend that there's an elite four or five teams and that the others are, are filling space up? Is that a fair thing to say after round one? Does it look like it might end up that way? Oh, I think it's hard to, to say with the sample size. It's, it's the first week. Look, I think there are going to be your favourites that you do have. You obviously look at the Blues and the Chiefs that we talked about last week being there or thereabouts. But um, look, I, don't, I think it's hard to say. I think for if you're looking at the Australian teams, and especially when they play the New Zealand teams, I think it's an ability to be able to stay to stay in games. And I look at that 16-13 at halftime for the Reds. They had a lot of opportunities in that first half, but it was the last pass. It's, or it's a little knock-on here and there. And I know it was a very slippery conditions for both sides. And there was a lot of errors and probably leads to the way of only being 28 minutes of ball and play. But for the Australian teams, the more that they play these New Zealand teams, they've got to be able to try and stay in games and keep it very close and being able to mentally stay there for long periods of time. Because you look at the second half and the depth of bringing our more Muffaleo and Jamie Booth and bringing those likes of players, the level of rugby for New Zealand teams isn't going to drop that much when you're bringing on the depth that we have. And so for the Australians, the Australian sides, you've got to be able to bring your bench on and play that same level for higher because, um, like you said, if you don't get it right and you've got the quality of the likes of the Safar Moore coming on and really influencing games, um, they're not going to be able to stay with them. So um, Australian teams, you know, you look at the Waratahs and Brumbies, very, very close um, and a great and a good spectacle, but playing New Zealand teams, you've got to be at a different intensity and that's probably the one learning that the Australian teams will have to continue to keep growing if they want to get these wins against the New Zealand sides. I think there's a good six or seven. 
I genuinely do. And I think, um, you know, for a couple of the bigger teams, it only takes a couple of injuries in certain positions and then they're being tested as well. And, you know, that importance of that bench is going to be crucial. And, um, you know, teams will get better as they go along and, and they've got to trust their style um, and not play away. But the one thing, you're going to have to be fit. If you want to win this comp, you are going to have to be super fit. Like, to put in context that 38 minutes of those other two games that I mentioned, I think that average was 32-33 last year. So just, and I thought Ben O'Keefe, man, like I know he's a friend of the show and I'm not just pumping him up because we, we <laughs> like him, but the way he just, I don't know, the way he articulates, the way he rests the game, it's just so easy on the viewing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like you understand what's happening. He's getting them to the line out. He's not panicked in his, the way he's going, come on boys, line out, you know, scrum, let's go. Um, and, and he's just on point. I don't know. It was really enjoyable the way he ref that game um, that allowed that 38 minutes. And I know it only sounds like five minutes, but that is big on the lungs for the bigger boys. There was another really cool piece of refereeing on the weekend. I think it was Machu Renal, um, where he let he got hit by a player and then he let the play go. Mm. You know, he didn't get in the way. He said, play on because I can see space out wide. When most referees just would have blew the whistle and gone, you hit me. You know, yeah, that play is over. So there's obviously a really cool worldwide movement here to let's play rugby. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's just a great spectacle to watch. Like, I was really excited for the weekend of footy, but like I'm even, I want week two now, and I know probably not a good judge because I love footy, but um, but I reckon there'll be fans out there that are, that are you know, craving round two, which I don't know if that's been the case in previous years. Yeah, there, well, there's some pretty good games on the weekend all round, really, and we'd like to thank you for your feedback that you've given us over the last uh, week or so. Comment on YouTube like Peaky887 did about his comment on the Canes. Well, thank you to Alex Winter for the uh, question about the, the five to ten teams who might be on top. Please bring questions to us. We'll answer them as well as we can. We're also going to bring you something different from this week. We've got a thing called a submission feed. You'll see the URL at the bottom of the screen. Go to the submission feed, and if you've got a video, you want to ask us a question on camera, we'll respond to it. Go in there, put your name in, then put your video in, and we'll have a look, and then we'll take that question, and we'll bring it into the show. You can also get us at aotearoarugbypod at sky.co.nz if you want to go semi-old school and an email. If you want to write a letter... Uh, <laughs> Good luck. We'll answer, we'll answer, <laughs> we'll answer it next us. year. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, thinking about that game between the Hurricanes and the Reds, Tom Liner, 19-year-old kid, Bryn, um, son obviously of the legend Michael Liner, plays in the same position. The Aussies are looking for a long-term 10, and he looked like a guy in a couple of years' time who could be a solution. Oh, that's it, you know, when you're a 19-year-old kid, um, there's a lot of, probably a lot of things going in your head around, um, you know, playing against a quality out for like the uh, like the Hurricanes. But I think, yeah, any time you are a 9 or 10 and you're young in those kind of um, game-making um, decision positions, it's been able to give you, um, I guess, the confidence to be able to say, we're going to back you as a number 10 and we're going we're gonna to ride with you. You know, I look at very early in the days of TJ Perinata and Bowden Barrett, two young kids come within their under-20s competition and, you know, they were given the keys to that environment. And it set them well, being able to have that trust. And so you're going to get um, a few mistakes here and there. That just comes part and parcel with the position and being at that young age. But, 
yeah, hopefully, Brad um, sticks with you. Got a great nine with Tate McDermott and around there. You got Hunter Paisami again, who's a well experienced midfielder. So um, yeah, just hopefully that they can stick with him in the forward pack and give him good go forward ball and be able to let him um, you know play out his game and be instinctive, um, especially as a young as especially as a young ten in a, in a Super Rugby competition. So I, I love that he's brought up the pack, uh, being <laughs> an important part of um, uh, his success. Because I, I saw this question and and I thought, well, what could make a difference to this young man? And being able to perform. So I went and uh, looked at the speed of their ruck uh, against the Hurricanes and they were they averaged 3.2 seconds, which I know doesn't sound that high, but if you look at all the teams that won by plenty, the Blues, the Chiefs, um, the Hurricanes, they were low twos. Mm. Um, at times, at certain phases in the Blues game, they were, they were in the ones. So if he is going to be able to you know, expose teams and be at his very best... They are going to need to get that ruck speed. Bryn, you'd know this. Like McDermott will want it as well. Um, but, you know, three, yep. three seconds, anything over three seconds. I mean, the rule of thumb is you normally say two-second ball, but um, they, they, they could do a better job. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. For him to allow him time, you know, use Joshuani. He just had time because the ball was just so quick and he, and he could expose defense because they couldn't set. So that would help him a hell of a lot, just in his running game, but also his kicking game. Especially for the Reds and how they play. They play a lot of Tate McDermott, you know. So if you're not operating that quick ball, um, you know, he's not been able to rove out and been able to use a sniping game, which he's done really, really well, especially at the Reds. And so, and when you do have that quick ball and McDermott and he's using those big forwards in and around him, it then opens up space just outside a little bit more for the likes of, you know, uh, Paisami. You've got good outside backs out there as well. And so, um, and you might be able to challenge the line of that quick ball. But yeah, you're right. If it's not, if it's not quick, good defensive line set and you're pretty much going into two bodies. So uh, Big Jipper was right on that. Got it right there. The four pack uh, for the Reds are going to have to really uh, muscle up for this young fella to have a, um, to have a good season. Brent loves lightning quick ball. Oh yeah, he loves it. He loves a bit of LQB. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Probably the match of the round was Moana Pacifica versus the draw. What a game mm. that was. It was, it was to Scalder, I think, you know, I was fortunate enough to be sidelined for that game and interviewing the coaches after, I think they, their, their stress level is a little bit high with how um, some parts of the game they chance their arm. Um, but they also said they really loved the courage um, both both teams showed. And, um, you know, I think if Moana Pacifica had their time again, 
a grubber kick with a minute to go uh, when you're up down the sideline giving a Fijian side that has been electric <laughs> from deep, um, you'd probably take that back. Mm. Um, that's probably the only... The, the, you know, the, the both sides came at each other hard. They, they actually had different styles early on. They went very direct, which, which, which I thought wore down both teams' defensive. That's why it opened um, up in the, late in that first half, but also in the second half. But um, that, that decision to grubber down the left-hand flank um, just gave Fiji and Drua. And I was standing sideline, like right where the grubber was, and you could just see them all come to life. And it was like... There is no way they're not scoring here. <laughs> they were 60 out at the time, but you could just sense it. Um, yeah. And the crowd was just infectious as well. It was, it was a fantastic atmosphere and a, and a great game of footy. Mm, it was. It was mind-blowingly good game of footy with some incredible talent out there. This guy, Masi, in the centres for the Drua is next-level talented. Oh, he is. He is, man. Jeez, he's just so, so electric. And um, Con just slips through. Um, when there's a bit of when there's two people in front of him, but yeah, I think man, what a what a great way for those two teams, I think, to be able to to have that kind of occasion. I think it adds to having it at Mount Smart, which is obviously a great um, great home ground for them to be able to have different um, communities and ethnicities to be able to be there with the Fijians and um, the Moana Pacifica. Because just watching on TV, you could hear in that last minute jump. You talked around sixty. Uh, 60 metres out, you could just hear the rules when they scored that final try and how much passion um, the Fijians, um, the Fijian and Drua had. It felt like we were in, um, you're in um, Sua um, in, in Fiji, not Mount Smart. So, um, But no, Massey, very, very impressive. And I think, look, if the more times that they can have opportunities to be able to use the offload game and you know, offloads that you just don't think that, that can happen, they, they find a way, the Fijians, to be able to get the ball to space. And so, um, yeah, great way, a great way to start the, the tournament for both sides. Obviously, Moana Pacifica will probably be thinking that's one that got away with one minute to go being in front. But, um, you know, both teams gave it everything and a brand of footy that we wanted to see from both teams, especially in that second half. I think Massey, two tries on debut. Um, but what I liked most, being at the ground, you can always sort of track players. And his sevens background and his fitness, his work, his work to get into the backfield as a midfielder to support the back three was yeah. huge and his, his double effort sometimes he'd carry he'd get up and he'd clean the next ruck so he's got a big engine um, he is tall like seriously tall like sort of Geordie Barrett tall uh, we interviewed him after the game and um, as most Fijians are very humble and, and modest but um, I, I, I'm interested to see where they play him does he stay ahead of Vota who, who was massive him and Rovovo um, in the midfield last year for Fijian especially towards the end we're quite a tight, so I think he has the ability to slip to the wing um, and there's potentially opportunity there to get all three of those guys because I think they're three of the better players. But Levi Almore, like, I know you've gone on about him at nauseam for about a year, but he had like eight people on him. <laughs> it was shown a Lomu-style strength. Oh, same with uh, Tava Tavanawa in their second try. Um, I think his biggest challenge is that he will have eight people on him. Mm. Okay, so you can't, you're not always going to get the ability to do what he did on the weekend. So it's how Moana Pacifica use him as potentially a decoy and, and manipulating defences to set up other guys to then go back to him. I, I think the Hurricanes got to a really nice balance before um, Laomapi left in terms of that battering ram um, sucking in defence to free up others. So I, I do think, yes, superhuman freak of nature to get throughout the other side especially when he was off the ground at one point and his legs are just keeping pumping in the in the air and then he gets it back on the turf and <laughs> takes off like 
Absolutely, but I don't think you're always going to get away with that to be running that high and caught. So his his biggest focus, I would say, is um, how he can be best utilised. Um, and and, and Lilefano has had many a strong ball carry outside him, so no doubt he's got some ideas. And Aaron Major um, mm-hmm. certainly will as well. Now we obviously had our tipping league get online and, and get into our league, the Aotearoa Rugby Pod League, which. <laughs> It wasn't a great weekend. No. Nah. It wasn't a great weekend. Oh, it could have been a great weekend for me, but I, I read the Waratahs lineup and I changed from the Brumbies to the Waratahs and I was like I was going I was going for the big bold play to try and get ahead and uh, fell flat on my face. Yeah, yeah. So gotta give some props to uh, the person on top whose handle is Spinit. Uh, I can't actually say the second handle on air. Um, <laughs> but you're but you're second. And uh, Jojo Rabbit in third doing well, all on six points. We're all on four points. That leaves you in 129th. Me in 168th and Bruno on 169. 254 people joined our league. That's oh, outstanding. Huge. Pretty much all of our viewers. Um, we won't have a job next week. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to join our league and come into it, all you have to do is go to superrugby.co.nz and go to the tipping section of that website. Join us if you're in the league already. Uh, if you're not, you know, you're only a week late. Um, you probably pass us in no time flat. Yeah. Speak for yourself, Ross. <laughs> After my two picks going, right? Yeah, absolutely. But uh, please join us on that league. And uh, the winner at the end from the official competition is going to get $5,000. But the winner of our league will come on the show and give us their feedback and say whatever they like about us in rugby. So please join on that. We look forward to having you join us. Moving on to Super Rugby Opiki. Another classic game, Matatu versus the Blues, Bryn. 33-31, an absolute nail-biter. You called Matatu? Is that why you called Matatu yeah. from what you saw there? Oh, I'll tell you what, after obviously not getting a couple of picks in the uh, Pacific, I was a little bit scared around um, the Blues coming back there. But no, look, I think they got, off to a great, they got off to a great start. And I think I talked about it earlier, the variety of kicking that they have, you know, I think it must have been a plan to be able to try and pin it in and behind the Blues, um, especially in that first half with the likes of Rosie Kelly and then Renee Holmes being able to put him behind. But again, you know, 19-0 up very early on. Um, it was looking a little bit um, wear and tear for a little, not, not looking great for the Blues. But, you know, they were able to come back in their second half and been able to have DeMont, um, what we saw pitches of being able to her, been able to use the offloading game and attacking the attacking the Matatu defensive line. Because I think, looking at the stats, I think it was 3-1 to one in the tackle count. I think it was 160-odd tackles for Matatu and maybe 64 for the Blues, you know. So um, in that second half, the Blues really were able to uh, get some momentum forward and be able to score tries. And I touched on it. Their outside backs um, been able to get some good um, some good go forward board and some I guess one on one opportunities to score some points and it was quite a kind of a bit of a shame really in the end um, with Demont missing that kick because it would have been great I think fitting with how both halves went to be able to go to extra time I think it deserved an extra time um, game with how the two were going but um, yeah I think Mata two getting their first win you know they'll take that win they'll look at the review and thinking how they could get better but you know an attacking brand from the Blues who have a big forward pack and some great outside backs. Um, they'll get away knowing that you know they got away with a good win and hopefully um, we'll give them a good go moving forward in the competition. If you think about Matatu, they dominated up front for the most part. Um, and I think players like uh, Pip Love and Amy Rule, like, the, there's some of their skill set and their work around the field is just as good as their set-piece work. Um, so the, I think that's that'll be the big focus for the Blues to improve. Um, and, and also they just got uh, both sides, actually all four sides over the weekend, 
got tight defensively, and that's why a lot of opportunities were created on the edge. So they just, I just think all of them in their reviews will be focused on trying to spread out close to the ruck, because at the moment one pass is sort of beating six defenders, mm. seven defenders, and that, and that's why so much of the field is left, and, and it's just too hard for those back three players to defend. So, um, but all in all, uh, a great ticker showed. Um, a lot of ball, like Bryn said, so maybe working on um, the attacking stuff and manipulating defence, because I agree, I thought the Blues back three was um, Colossi. Man, she's a freak. Um, so I, I think the more they can get it to that edge, the, the better. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, I, it would have been nice to go to extra time. I, I was sort of was ready for that. <laughs> um, not, not really expecting the, the missed kick, but um, in the end, you can't really argue with Matatu getting the result. Mm. When we look at the other game, the Manawa coming home real hot, 53-21 against the Poa. They, I mean, they went down 14-0 at the start, and so that scoreline is quite significant. The, uh, another, you could say it, you win it up front. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, well, <laughs> but... I mean, the way the power started was mm. ridiculous. I love the interplay um, down that, that blind oh. side from um, Crystal Murray to Jonah Ngawu, um, mm. who which led to their first two tries. Um, it, was, it was outstanding. Sometimes it's so unexpected, it's always normally a back out the back. So whenever there's little plays like that in those pods, forward to forward, um, you, know, you, you can catch teams offside. But the turn of pace and the power of uh, Jonah Ngawu, it was, um, it was seriously impressive. A much better start than most were probably expecting, but they just couldn't hold on. Like The dominance up front was just, I mean, driving malls and scrums, that's all they went to. It, it reminded me, you know, of when, when things got tough a little bit, you know, in the Crusaders, they'll always go to the mall or they'll go to their scrum and they go to what they know and love and um, they just kept going there. And, and there's just no hiding when, when you're under the pump like that. And, um, it became probably all too easy in the end. And they're missing some superstar backs. We talked about it last week, Brent. You know, a lot of those sevens backs, they're not there anymore. It didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. Yeah. No, well, that's it. I think, you know, when you've got that, you know, you have you probably look at the one around um, losing those um, X-Factor players on the edge, but I'll tell you what, if you can use the grunt work and be able to win games through your set-piece more, you pick and goes close to the line and um, you line out more, um, it's pretty tough. And I think that's where they went to. Um, they found a they found a kind of an Achilles heel in the power and they just rammed it home and just keep going there to be able to score points. So, um, yeah, but I think for the power, if they can continue to try and attack like they did in that first 10 minutes, the interchange between Murray and Nawu down that short side to get um, Letienga into the game, um, it was a great way to be able to attack. But I think you have to think about uh, for the next game, their set piece around their scrum and their line out. They're going to have to do a lot of work around trying to nullify um, set piece malls and scrums because if you're, if you're reviewing them, uh, previewing them, sorry, that's where you'll be going to try and go with them every single time. We've touched on it a little bit already, but key trends that we've seen out of the first round of both competitions as far as gameplay are concerned. What have you seen as the key developments in Opiki as far as the way the game has moved from last year? The breakdown works better. I think scrum and lineouts are, are much more efficient and dominant. And there's a clear focus to be dominant because all eight players are focused on scrumming and scrumming only and then doing their next job. So I do think that's a big, big difference. I think, you know, from what a lot of these players learn, um, you know, before the World Cup and probably previously on the Black Ferns Tour is if you don't have that set piece, you can't really get things going. And, and, and I think they've probably noticed that a lot of them are tight defensively, so they're looking to get to the edge with these kick passes, mm. um, other bits of skill like that. So I, I think 
I don't know, the, the feel to me that there's improvement is, is the game drivers have got a really good balance of when to go to what, and, and they're pulling trigger and reading um, pitches really well, which is seeing the higher quality of play and, you know, obviously higher points scored. What about in Super Rugby Pacific? What were the trends that you saw this week there? I think just ball and play. I think the level of being able to play with play with the ball. Um, I, I just look at that Blues game, for example. I think if you can have that consistently throughout the year, um, with it not just being the halfback getting that ball out, um, and the Blues have did that very, very well on the weekend, it's hard to be able to stay with teams, especially if you've got good ball carriers, big men that are carrying well with the offload games and the outside backs that the Blues have. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty good brand of footy. So um, I'd like to think that the more that they're playing at this intensity and the higher m- number of minutes with ball and play, you're going to see a lot more of the, the quality um, with the game and being able to even get more of a higher, higher brand of product, which I think has been a great start for round one, considering that um, you know it's the first game and a few, um, a few changes rule-wise as well. Everyone was really focused on just keeping the ball alive and, and making teams pay. The Blues, we saw it. Even the Highlanders at times, I thought both... You know, the Chiefs and Crusaders in tough conditions still did it. And then you look at Al Moore um, setting up Cam Roygaard. He's there to clean, but he sees that the option is picked straight through the middle. Um, it happened a little bit in the um, Fiji and Thrower Pacifica game as well. Like those little, if you get in behind the defence and then you get that little pick through the middle, that, the defence has got to take another step. And that's when you can get to the edge or you break through the middle if the defence is more focused. So uh, I don't know, it was a trend across the board. Um, Max Jorgensen's first try, see the offload from the loose head prop um, I can't remember his name but um, he gave that ball and you know just talk about Mark Talia getting through three guys Jorgensen was just as, a, yeah. as efficient um, but so it wasn't just New Zealand sides I think it was across the competition there's a real energy to keep that ball up Cheeky but it, look ball. it's good for the good yeah. for the game um, I won't say product product <laughs> okay it's good for the game okay <laughs> it's good for the game um, you know, because there's over the ditch, you know, getting headlines and, and yeah. pushing those other sports. Just referring to what <laughs> I was talking to, uh, a bloke called Sigrun Owen, I, I hope that's how you say your name, uh, gave us some feedback uh, with a bit of a criticism about rugby being referred to as a product because it saps the soul out of the game. Now, can you say why you like to call uh, it a product? Well, I have to agree with them that I, being a traditionalist, I, I've, I've probably been caught up on uh, calling it a product, but I, I do think... Um, you know, we're fighting for that consumer dollar and eyes and that, you know, it's either a product or a service and, and it's probably just in my own mind formed as a product, but I'm happy to call it the game, don't get me wrong, because my dad's probably <laughs> of the same opinion as this, as this, this, <laughs> this, this uh, young man that uh, it must be the game, so I promise it's the game. No more product. Line in the sand. As a product, uh, the Six Nations on the weekend probably wasn't as strong as it has been recently. However, there were some interesting performances there. Scotland were very good considering Gilchrist went out early and then they were down 22-7 and looked down and out. They probably had a chance to win that game, Bryn. If you look back at it and you really watch it, you know Scotland probably should have, they should have won that game, I think. They had a lot of opportunities to be able to score the tries. And I think you look at the 67th minute when Russell scored that to 25 to 21. Um, they're right in that game. But I think what's kind of happened, I think they're a good team. Well, don't get me wrong. I think they're a very good team. I think they've made massive improvements this year. But against your big times, when it comes, comes to crucial moments, little mistakes here and there just cost them. And I think that's the level when you're playing these top two teams or top three teams in the world, 
you can't afford to have those moments in games. You've got to take them right then and there and be able to put the pressure back on France. And look, don't get me wrong, they did in a lot of a lot of times in that match. But when it came to push and shove, France were just that little bit better being able to execute at the right times. And so, yeah, again, Scotland will be thinking that, they, that that's one that got away because they had their chances. But, um, you know, where, where the French are at the moment and and the, the landscape of world rugby, they got the job done being the, being the superior team in those moments. I, I think... Um... They had more than their chances. If you look at it statistically, 61% territory, so they're down the right end. Mm. Um, you know, 55% possession. They're clearly a team that has got the, been given the licence to play. And I, I agree with Bryn at Test Match Footy and if they want to be genuine World Cup contenders, because I think off the back of this, you can say that on their day if it comes off, because they, they want to play. Mm. And, and I admire that. Like Finn Russell is running a pretty sharp cutter. Um, and the players outside of them are, are wanting to score tries. They're not looking for threes, which is exciting. But the intercept and the 17 turnovers versus, um, you know, seven turnovers to the French, that's 10 more, and those are the opportunities, those are the 10 opportunities where it led to points for France or they didn't score points. Um, so uh, I just think it's just that fine line at that level, like test matches are just lost on the most... You know, minuscule of things, and um, if really? I, I don't think they should be doom and gloom though, because and don't go into their shells and not play. But those are the areas that lost the game and, and the composure, and uh, that's why I sort of had Dupont as my player for for Six Nations because he just was so composed when he pulled trigger. It was spot on, right call. When it was to just get it down there, um, you know, he just controlled that management and, and he was risk adverse. Where they're not a risk adverse team, the French, but they read the conditions, they read the situation, they played it really well. Mm. Yep. And Bryn in France and World Cup year in a game like that, which is one of those ones that could get away from you if you don't keep your head straight. It showed what yep. a difficult proposition they're going to be come World Cup time. Oh, 100%. And I think, you know, what are they, 15 out of 16 test matches that they've won. And, you know, the Six Nations probably at the moment is probably the pinnacle around world international rugby at the moment. And so they've been in a lot of lot of scenarios, a lot of games where it's been tight. They've had to win ugly. They've had to win strong. They've started well. They haven't started well. So, you know, when you're at the top, the top, the top one or two in the world, you've had those kind of experiences of playing test match footy like that. And, it, you know, it comes back to the Scottish side where they haven't been in those pressure situations and they probably didn't get the result due to that. But, you know, you look at the French in France, um, look, they're going to be a tough team. I think the only team at the moment from what I've seen, you know, we've me and Jip have backed the All Blacks. I think the only team really other than them would be the, would be the Irish. And for that, Johnny Sexton's playing and they're all fires are cylinder with the animation and how they play with their attack. I think they're really the only team at the moment that will be able to really ask questions of um, of the French. And to be honest, it's probably going to be at the quarterfinal stage, possibly. It's going to be early in the competition with how that draw seating is at the moment. So, But no, very, very tough. And um, Jipper hit on the head, you know, Dupont, there's a reason why he's the best player in the world at the moment because he's so influential in different ways in games at the right time. Whether it be a switch play to be able to go to the right space with Intermac or be, whether it be sometimes putting his head over the ball to get a, a crucial turnover at a stage or a, a long kick or a run or counter attack or a snipe through the middle. Um, yeah, there's a reason why he's the best in the world and France are very lucky to be able to have a player of that um, that calibre uh, in, in their side. I do think the Springboks as well as Ireland's France. I, I agree with you. We've got our reasons why we've got oh, the right. All Blacks. No, um, but those are probably the three sides that are leading contenders. 
um, from probably the public perception and, and most of the world um, because they've all got that similar style defensively and attack. They've got, they've got a real um, edge about them physically up front, but also they, they know when to chance their arm and when not to. Sorry to quite Smith, actually, not bringing up the South Africans. We've talked about it a lot um, over here in Japan, so quite apologies, mate. You guys are definitely in the reckoning. I agree. <laughs> Jeez, he's worried he's going to beat it up. Is Quagga in your team? <laughs> Yeah, mate. He's uh, well, he's our inspirational captain, mate. He's um, he's a one-man wrecking ball over here. So we've had a lot of talks around uh, the French. So I won't tell too much. No, I should I should actually. No, they think phys- physicality-wise, they think that they've got a um, a good advantage and think they can hold themselves. Which to put up those points, and I agree. They're definitely definitely when it comes to physicality, they can um, they can upset the French and even the Irish as well when they had success in that um, backing of the um, international series last year. Oh well, I can see who we're going to get on as a guest this year. Yeah, yeah, expecting Quagga Smith to pull a few springs. <laughs> that would be good. That would be good. The Irish, they got their win. They're now three from three. They're on top of the table in the Six Nations. But probably of more interest is what happened in Wales v England, considering what the build-up was and how the changes have happened with the coaching setups. What did you make of that game? It wasn't a classic, and I got the feeling that these are two teams who, if they don't get their act together, are going to be off the pace in France. Yeah, I mean... I think England showed, if you look at Watson's try, there's definitely, they're making adjustments in their attack play that is exciting. I think there's enough there to be excited about, um, but it looked to me, and I've been in sides like this, so speaking from experience, is a te- both teams just trying so hard that it almost you know just doesn't come off. You're just forcing everything, mm. and it just almost goes from bad to worse. Um, they're so desperate to hit you know, hit that gear that they want to. Um, and it's no surprises. There'll be a lot of different information coming in. Uh, you know, Warren Gatlin going back, um, Borthwick in at England. So you can't underplay that. Uh, but England got the job done. Um, but again, the turnover count for them was just so high. Um, 21 turnovers. Like, whew, that's that's given a lot of ball back. So they're just a little bit clunky because I feel like they're learning new systems. But when they actually get it right, as I said with that Watson try, Pretty nice to watch. Okay, we've got to wait a while until we get back to the Six Nations. A couple of weeks before Italy v Wales, England v France, and Scotland v Ireland. But let's get into our tipping for this week. Remember, join our tipping comp, superrugby.co.nz slash tipping. Aotearoa Rugby Prod is the name of the league within there. Let's start off with the Crusaders versus the Highlanders. Super round, all games in Melbourne. Crusaders. Crusaders. Yeah, Crusaders. Rebels v Canes. Canes. (laughs) <laughs> Mate, they nearly won on the weekend. Uh, <laughs> They're not looking too bad. They're not looking too I bad. Know. I know. Thank God the force got their dumb oh. there. I said they would turn up to the show. But no, I'm- no, I'll go the Hurricanes. Yeah, even though the Rebels have very much improved. Well, the Rebels are the only home team, but it didn't really matter last week for home teams at all. So no, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, Moana Pacifica versus Chiefs, Bryn. Yeah, Chiefs. Yeah, just too classy. Chiefs. Chiefs. Drua versus Waratahs. Waratahs. Oh. Go on, boy. I'd love to pick Drua. Go on, any... mate. I'm always the I one spicing it up. Spice her up. Nah, just a, I don't think they can. He's too competitive. <laughs> he just can't. He just can't put it on I the line. I am too competitive. I had a loss last oh. week as well. I'll go the Tars. You've got to go the Tars. Go the tars. <laughs> Blues v Brumbies, Bryn. 
Well, that'd be a good game. Um, I'll go the Blues, though. Yeah, Blues. Yeah. Sunday Arvo, too, that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Force v Reds. Reds. I'll get that ruck speed up. Reds. Yeah, there were some comments on YouTube actually saying that we didn't give the Reds enough credit in our picks for the year. So, oh, they were in the eight. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, Oh, actually, they weren't in my eight. I had them in the eight. They've had a lot of injuries. They're a young squad. Like, happy to be proved wrong. But let's go Opeki now. Blues v Manawa. Haas says Blues, but after Manawa's performance, you'd have to think they'll get up there. Ooh, is that a first? Don't know, guys. Let's just move on. <laughs> uh, I'll go choose Monor. Okay, and Bryn Matatu versus the Power? Uh, yeah, I'll go Matatu. Matatu. Matatu as well. Yeah. Okay, great. Now, plenty of good games to come in this weekend. Plenty of good games to catch on Sky Sport. Of course, you can catch all the reaction with us next week on all the Sky Sport platforms. You can also catch us on Rugby Passes platforms. Get us on YouTube. Get us on AudioPod. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod once again. Make sure you get into our tipping comp. Go to our submission feed. Submissions, you can see it across the bottom there. Go to that URL and then send us a video. We'll react to it. Please keep engaging with us over the next little while and we will continue to bring you great detail. There was some great detail today, guys. Oh, yeah, we have to thank Woody. Yeah. The, the statistician Woody, he was outstanding. Sunday delivery of that, I was in seventh heaven. Outstanding. As if it wasn't good enough already with a 60-point blue scoreline. <laughs> so with that being said, James Parsons, thank you very thank much. You. Bryn Hall, thanks again. We'll see you next week, hopefully with Quagga Smith maybe. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Hey, boys, if I do my things right around here and give the skip a bit of a pump up, I think we might be right. <laughs> Let's go. We'll get him on at some point anyway. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining us once again on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod, Matewa.